was, uh, was marvelous. Uh, I tell you, those two saw that. I stand amazed in his presence. And then what Brittany sang, both speak so clearly of a couple of things, the seriousness of sin and the grace of God. It's just an amazing... I stand amazed in the present, Bart, is that when I went to seminary, at Southwestern Seminary, the first chapel service that I went into, we sang that. That was the first time I'd ever been in a, in a single room with about 2,000 other men, and we sang that. And I mean, it still gives me chills when we sing that, so thank you. Do, do hymns do that to any of you? I mean, when you, you hear a hymn that just ties you to some particular spiritual moment, I mean, I hope it does. I hope they, that's what they're there for. Uh, we, we learn, you know, they say we Baptists learn more theology from the hymn book than we do the Bible, and sometimes I think that is true, and I'm not sure that that's a bad thing at all. Uh, hey, this, this past Wednesday, during our, our Wednesday evening Bible study, uh, I mentioned that it, that happened to be Ash Wednesday. You know, Ash Wednesday is that day uh, that the Roman Catholic Church particularly, uh, I don't know, celebrates isn't the right word, but it's a, it's a, it's a day that marks the beginning of a period of repentance and of, of doing penitent acts, of good, doing good deeds on behalf of others, or of sacrificing things. That's what Lent leading up to Easter is. And that, that Wednesday, it happened to be Ash Wednesday. Maybe you guys noticed some of your Catholic friends with the, the smudge of ash on their forehead in the shape of a cross that marks re repentance. Uh, it's a day for reflection, for repentance, and the beginning of that season of Lent. Today, what we're going to—we're not studying Roman Catholic doctrine on Wednesday night, but but we're actually doing a series on kind of our Baptist distinctives and some of the the specific uh, doctrines and maybe I should even say traditions that make us Baptists. That's what we're doing on Wednesday night. I invite any of you who who haven't been there to. And those of you who have, come back. But if you want to join us on Wednesday evenings here in the sanctuary. But uh, we're studying Baptist doctrine there. But we, we were talking a little bit about repentance because it was Ash Wednesday. And so today we're going to be looking at a passage in the book of James uh, that speaks very clearly about repentance and what it is and kind of not necessarily the stages, but what true repentance looks like. So open your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 10. Uh, th this is a passage that, that speaks of repentance, of, as James says, of turning laughter into mourning and joy to gloom. Doesn't that sound like a lot of fun? I, mean, I just think we're going to have a great time there. But it also speaks of the greatness of God's grace and of his turn giving us and exalting us in our humility. James chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 5. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? 
He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. But He gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, confronted, Lord, by your word. Lord God, open our hearts and open our minds to your word today. Lord, let us hear and let us understand what you are speaking to us this morning. Uh, Father, sometimes it is difficult to face even the truths that you give us. But Father, give us faith. Give us boldness, Lord, to turn the light through your word on ourselves. That we may, Lord, leave here today being more like you than we came in. In Christ's name, amen. This is really one of those passages that, uh, as a preacher, you want to skip over a verse or two. Uh, particularly that first verse, verse 5. Some of you I know as I was reading that, I, I use the New, excuse me, the New American Standard uh, Bible. Uh, some of you as I was reading that verse 5 are going, what in the where did he get that? Because your, your word order is quite a bit different. Um, you know, I almost wanted, I wanted to skip that verse because it is one that is notoriously and historically difficult to translate. Uh, even in the New American Standard, if, if that happens to be the Bible you have, you'll notice over in the margin there's an alternative translation to that verse even in that Bible. King James translates it very differently. NIV does. All of our English translations, there's several different alternatives. Uh, as I read, it's that second half of verse 5 says, He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. Uh, the Spirit there is capitalized. What that means is it's speaking of the Holy Spirit. The alternative translation, even in my New American Standards, says the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us lusts with envy. The Spirit in that case is not capitalized. So even the translators of the NASB, the New American Standard, that means the group of guys that worked on this and translated that couldn't come to complete agreement on which way that was to be translated, so they put them both in there for us. Now, as a, as a Bible student, as you, as you look at it, you, you end up there with maybe two choices. It either is speaking about the Holy Spirit that dwells within us from the time that we accept Christ, and He makes us a child of God, and it's a reference to that Spirit, or... If it's not capitalized in your Bible, that means those translators and the ones working on that group said, no, 
It's speaking of the human spirit, the life spirit that God breathes into every living person, just as he did in Adam when he, when he created Adam. And the Bible tells us he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So you've got, you've got these two uh, different ideas as to which is it. It's either the Holy Spirit that indwells us when we become believers, or it's the, the human spirit that all are part of. That is part of all of us. Um, so it's either telling us, as you, you try to deal with what this jealousy and this jealously desires us, what this means. It's either telling us that the Holy Spirit who dwells within believers jealously desires us, all of us, and wants no double-mindedness. That, that no part of our being is to be kept separate from Him. No part of our being is not to be humbled in his presence. No part of our life is outside of his domain. I think all of those are biblical truths. And, and it says here, verse 5, the beginning phrase, or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? What James is saying there is, look, do, do you think that the scripture hasn't told us this for a reason? Now, the interesting thing there is, there is no other verse in the Bible that that is a quote from, so what James is doing is taking a biblical truth and stating it there. So it is a biblical truth that the Holy Spirit that dwells in us once jealously desires our complete being to be humbled and to give our will over to His. So that's one translation. If you look at it on the other side, it might be telling us that the human spirit the life spirit of unredeemed man is passionately envious and bends us toward jealousy and envy. You know what? That too is a biblical truth. The Bible tells us that the human heart, that our hearts are desperately wicked. So the, the, both of those are, are, are biblical truths that James might be telling us in there. The natural, unredeemed human spirit is passionately envious. And it does bend us toward jealousy and envy. You know, I was just reading a, a news report about this lady, and maybe you've, you've heard of it. She's trying to keep herself anonymous because she won a lottery of like a half a billion dollars. It's 500 and some thousand dollars she won as a, as a lottery winner and she was wanting to stay, remain anonymous. And I thought for first, I thought, well, you know, that's probably a good idea because people are going to try to, you know, to get to her to, to get the money. And so I started reading about, I, I did a little research on uh, what's happened to the past lottery winners. Did you know that over 70% of the people who have won multi-million dollar lotteries are in worse financial shape within seven years than they were before they won it? Not only that, but several of them have been murdered by family members and friends within a three-year period after winning those lotteries. Why? Because the human heart bends us toward envy and jealousy. 
Both of those are biblical truths. Um, I think my favorite answer when I find two truths like that that I can't hold, that, that, that I can't make up my mind is both and. I'm not sure that when, the, when, when God inspired James to write that particular thought that he didn't do it in such a way that it applies to everyone in this room. Because James was writing to congregations in the first century that are actually not very much unlike a congregation today. We are a mixture, a mixture of those who have given their life to Christ and are children of God and part of his kingdom and those who have not yet done so. We're all on a, on a journey of faith together. You're either on one side of the threshold of salvation and God drawing you and moving you toward it, or you're on the other side of that threshold of salvation and God is moving you toward sanctification and ultimately glorification. But if you're not moving, that's the problem. You see, we can become very complacent as Christians. We can begin to, to think that we've arrived, that we've, we've made it. And I think this passage that we're going to be dealing with in more detail here today is for both. It is a, a wonderful, wonderful call to that initial step of recognizing that we are sinners in need of a Savior and how to repent and turn to God. And it's a wonderful promise that when we do so, He lifts us up. For the believer, for those of us who have accepted Christ sometime in our life already and are, are on the, the, this side of that threshold of salvation, it is a call to remember that we are also sinners saved by grace. That we have not arrived at glorification or sanctification as of yet. That it is a continuing process. And that we must always be aware and looking and be aware that there is sin in our lives that is serious and that repentance is not a one-time thing for us in this world it is a continual thing just as sanctification from salvation to glorification is not a one-time thing it is a continual process yes salvation comes to us at a moment the moment we receive Jesus as our Lord and our Savior but that begins a lifelong process of sanctification, of recognizing sin in our lives and repenting and turning once again back toward God and growing in His grace. Verse 6. But He gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, no matter where you are in that faith journey, whether you're just approaching that threshold of salvation or progressing along towards sanctification, God's storehouse of grace is still full. And He is ready to pour out His grace even more. Paul speaks of the, the surpassing riches of God's grace. It is by grace we are saved. It is by grace we are sanctified. It is by grace we are empowered to live godly lives in the present age. 
And it is by grace that we will spend eternity in the presence of God. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, speaking of Jesus, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from lawless deeds and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. That's a wonderful, wonderful description there of repentance, of turning away from the deeds of the world, from the, the, the ideas of the world toward those of God. And it is a gift. And since it is a gift, we cannot earn it. And since it is grace, we cannot deserve it. Whether it is salvation and a relationship with Jesus Christ or, or spiritual growth that continues beyond salvation and towards sanctification, the only thing that prevents us from receiving this greater grace is our own efforts trying to earn it. Or our own pride thinking we deserve it. And both of those things are nothing more than pride. And what does God think of human pride? Verse 6, but he gives a greater grace, therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. He doesn't pour out his gift of grace on those who are arrogant, self-interested, self-important and self-righteous. He pours out His grace on the humble. The proud are those who feel that they are somehow above or better than others. Romans 12.3 tells us to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. That phrase, God is opposed to the proud, has military implications. What, what that opposed was as if the, the, an army was drawn up in battle array in opposition to another force. You know, our military today serves two very different purposes. Um, one purpose is to go after those who bring harm to Americans and to our nation. And to those, when they see our, our military in battle array ready to oppose them, it is a fearsome and awful sight for them to see. The other thing that our military does quite often now is respond in times of disaster and need. You know, to those people, after a major earthquake, a tsunami, or, or whatever it may be, for them to see our military coming toward them to help feed and shelter and protect, it is an awesome sight. 
What's your vision of God coming for you? Do you see him as a, as a force opposed to your self-interest, to your pride, arrayed in opposition to your goals? Or do you see him ready to bless and by his grace to, to provide you with what you truly need? It's not that our God is two different things. It's that we see him from two different positions. The position of pride sees a God in opposition. The humbled heart sees a God ready to bless and to provide and to protect. Verse 7, submit therefore to God... Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here we have the beginning of, of what's really a clear call to salvation or a, a clear call to return to faithfulness and growing sanctification. Submitting to God is an act of humility. It is saying, yes, Lord. It, it is saying that there's a great difference between us as a created being and he who is our creator, our redeemer, our provider. It's, it's saying, I can't do it without you, Lord. And whatever it is, I'm willing to follow you. It, it's saying, as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane during that night of anguish before he was taken to the cross, not my will, but thine. See, there is repentance. Submit to God and resist the devil. Turn away from the ways of the world and seek the kingdom of God. The devil is not sovereign. He has no real power over you. How many of you remember Flip Wilson? A comedian from a generation ago, maybe. And what was his big punchline? The devil made me do it, right? The truth is the devil can't make you do anything. He is not sovereign. He can tempt you, and he will. He can lie to you, and he does. But he cannot make you do anything. And the truth is, he's a sore loser. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He's like the kid that, that wants to play, and no one else wants to, to play that particular game, so he picks up his ball and goes home. But the problem is, he keeps coming back and trying again and again. So we resist again and again. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Draw near to God. That's really in, in this series of verses, that's the, the third in a series of ten different commands beginning there with 
Submit, therefore, to God. And then resist the devil. And now draw near to God, and he promises to draw near to you. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, we see there that the, the high priest is the only one who is ever truly can draw near to God when he, when he enters into the Holy of Holies. He only does that once a year. And he has to go through this, this process before he gets there of, of, washing, uh, of washing his hands in the, in the big bowl outside there and, and of purifying himself. But this side of the cross, in our side of the cross, we are invited to draw near to God. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Picture there is a picture of the cross. You remember the, the crucifixion of Jesus? What happened in the temple? You know, the holy holies in the, in the, in the temple was was covered and protected from the rest by a, by a big, thick curtain. Huge, thick curtain. And when Jesus was crucified, the Bible tells us that curtain was torn. Not this way, but from the top to the bottom. If man had torn it, we would have grabbed it at the bottom and torn it to the top. But God opened access to the Holy of Holies to himself. How? Through the blood of Christ there on the cross. That's what that Hebrews passage is about. That's why we've been given the invitation to draw near to God. And the promise that when we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, just as the high priest had to cleanse himself as a, as a symbolic act of purity, a symbolic act of his sins, we are called to cleanse your hands. Cleanse yourself of unrighteous acts. This speaks of behavior. Before we come before God, we must look at our behavior, the things we do, and say, Lord, forgive me. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. This speaks of internal unrighteousness, the double-mindedness of being conformed to the world and not being transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know the will of God, as it says in Romans 12, 2. You see, those are called a repentance. To recognize your spiritual condition as a sinner or perhaps as a double-minded believer. And you see, repentance has to do both with an outer effect, our behavior, and an inner existence, our inner reality, because sin is a behavior that starts from a sinful heart or motive. It involves a change of behavior, 
and a change of heart. True repentance isn't easy. True repentance isn't pretty. As Francis Fuller said, true repentance is to accuse and condemn ourselves. It is to recognize our rebellion against God and our helplessness without Him. It's not to be sorry for the circumstances that are a result of sinful choices and behavior. It's to be broken because of the sin itself. Verse 9, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. What's the day before Ash Wednesday? Mardi Gras. Carnival. A day of celebration, of joy and of laughter. Truly it is a day of debauchery and selfishness masquerading as celebration of joy and laughter. It is the state of many people in the world today. It is sometimes the state of believers. Acting in the world and pretending it's joy and laughter. And our call is to be miserable and mourn and weep. Why? Over our sin. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. Finally, there's the promise. Here is the way of exaltation. Here is the way of sanctification. Here is the greater grace that God gives. Humble yourself before God and He will exalt you. He will lift you up. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins before God, that He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and then we can stand before God with the righteousness of Christ in His very presence. You know, when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies once a year, he wore a bell around his waist or around his neck, and they tied a rope to his ankle because he was going in to the Holy of Holies, to the very presence of God, and if he went in with unconfessed sin, with, he went in with any unrighteousness, they believed he would be struck dead in the moment and they needed some way to drag him back out. Do you hear the promise of God? If we confess our sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And he says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Humble yourselves before him and he will exalt you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, 
Lord God, you know the heart of each one gathered here. You know, Father, each one where they are on their journey of faith, whether you are drawing them, Lord, to that point of salvation, or whether you are drawing them, Lord, in that process of sanctification to ultimate glorification. Father, I, I pray that this day you will shine your light on each heart let each one see, Lord, their true spiritual condition. Let each one see the, the sin in their life and let them repent and be cleansed. Let those who have not come to you, Lord, see that you are their Savior. That in you they may be made righteous and may experience the true presence of God. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're about to ask you to stand. And we'll be singing this hymn of invitation. And this is not just a hymn of invitation for those who wish to join the church, although it is that. It's also a hymn of invitation to come and to, to pray a, a prayer of repentance and forgiveness. You can do that right where you are. God hears our prayers and He responds in faithfulness. So let's sing.